you probably wouldn't know it, but like the, the whole ritual about getting ready to do the radio show where you're getting the mic just so and everything, it's a little bit like watching a major league baseball player come to bat because of that whole ritual that's involved in that. Good morning. The GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 9050989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. We are streaming on everything today. We're streaming on Facebook, on Twitter, on net uh excuse me, Instagram, and on Rumble. I just about said Netflix. That would be something. <laughs> and uh, excuse me, and I have the busy throat. More coming out of the World Economic Forum. It's like I, I keep coming back to this because this reminds me of bad stand-up comedy. Comedy. Now they've decided to attack coffee. I really wonder what is the point of living in their world. If they believe that everything's got to go, what is the point of living now, I, I, talked, I talked about the uh, extinction fetish that they seem to have yesterday, which has been going on for quite some time. But, uh, you know. Uh, Hubert Keller, he's a Swiss banker. He said the coffee we all drink emits between 15 and 20 tons of CO2 per ton of coffee. Which, that's amazing that we can emit, we can get 20 tons out of a ton. Every time we drink coffee, we're basically putting CO2 into the, you know, then, you know. But then what about the milk in the coffee? See, there's milk comes from cows, and cows produce methane when they break wind. That's not good for the climate. Carbon dioxide is necessary for life. Green plants feed on carbon dioxide, produce oxygen as a byproduct. Green, you know, green plants like the kind we eat, that we plant, you know, that kind of thing, that whole food, air thing. Yet, <clears throat> for, for some reason, and see, here's the thing. The actual percentage that in our atmosphere that is CO2 is 0.04%. And what they're proposing is basically 0.03%. But the problem is, at that point, at 0.04%, we're barely there. At 0.02%, vegetable life cannot grow. It's being strangled. It's being suffocated at that point. But they want to take as much of that out of the, out of the uh, atmosphere as they can because they say it traps heat. Which, you know, if you go looking on Fox News right now, you'll find out about two guys watching a Kansas City football game that froze outside after the game. But heat's the problem. Even though heat will, you know, warmer temperatures help us grow crops. They want to limit emissions of carbon dioxide. And one, of course, one way to do it is go after agricultural production and practices. <laughs> Which, think about everything. Everything. If it's not meat, it's from the ground. And one thing you'll notice with all of the, you know, all of these, a lot of these coffee places that are out there. This used to irritate me to no end because they were always out there environmentally friendly. Aren't they all environmentally friendly 
to some degree. It's not like, say, getting the rare earth metals out of the ground to make an electric car battery. Growing coffee is not. And uh, on the tech side, this is a good point. This is a good way to make us all want to hunt these people down and kill them. <laughs> you know, but you know, when when you think about these guys and gear and girls, I don't want to be misogynistic. When you think about these guys and girls in Davos right now, Davos as they call it, um, while they're preaching about the use of fossil fuels, they're basking in the afterglow of fossil fuel. Everything they wear, everything they touch, everything they bring with them, everything they fly in on, everything in the tanks of everything they fly in on. And these are the ones that wish to rule the world. And then there's John Carrier. Jaws, as I like to call him. Um, this is a guy who has a job that is not officially recognized in the government as a job. He's the climate envoy. And while he's living off of the fat of the Heinz ketchup uh, regime that he married into, um, he's living he's living large. He's dumping ketchup all over beef on a regular basis. Flying in private jets, even though he doesn't own one now. He's, they sold theirs. and uh, But, you know, he used to have one. And now today, we hear that the House Republicans have introduced legislation to suspend funding for the World Economic Forum. Now, wait a minute. This begs a question. Why are we funding the World Economic Forum? And apparently, it's not directly to them. It's through the Department of State and through the United States Agency for International Development or any other development or agency that may be used to provide funding for the World Economic Forum. Introduced by a few guys I've never heard of, Scott Perry, Tom Tiffany, and Paul Gozer. I have heard of him. They said in a press conference, the World Economic Forum doesn't deserve one cent of American funding. It's past time we defund Davos. Now that all sounds good to me. But once again, comes my question we're funding the world economic forum somehow <laughs> and you know when i when i hear about this uh you know they, they have all kinds of parties and they they consider themselves to be the beautiful people it's a luxury vacation in switzerland and why are we paying john Kerry's way they did invite invite kevin roberts from the heritage foundation which i i played uh played his little uh his little ditty on them last week. And well, he, he pointed a few things out, mainly that they are the problem. But, you know, Mr. Keller, you don't get my coffee. You can't have my coffee. How big is this, uh, this, this, uh, this confab of the beautiful people? 3,000 participants from across the globe, 1,600 business leaders, 350 heads of state and government ministers, and hundreds of academics, civil society leaders, and entrepreneurs. Sky-high lodging fees, champagne nightcaps, and chances to see and be seen by people holding some of the most influential jobs on the planet. And Vladimir Zelensky was there begging for money. 
They asked one guy, the CP, the CEO of KPMG US, what he came, what he was worried about, and he said, "Last year for me, it would have been the economy. I'm a little more concerned right now about the number of geopolitical concerns around the world that could create shocks." So surely, with all of this stuff going on, the production of champagne must stop. These grapes must help the coffee beans destroy the ozone, right? I mean, they, you know, these places have heat; they have electricity. Although it's interesting that they, they're just now beginning to notice the world is on fire. It'd be really cool for us if we had a strong leader in the White House. But while they're all concerned, <laughs> while everybody's all concerned about the democracy, they miss the point. It's never been a democracy. They're upset right now because right there's going to be elections this year where 4.2 billion people get to vote. And they're concerned that they're going to vote the way of Argentina and what they think is going to happen in the United States. So they're worried about the threats of fascism, nationalism, disinformation, and any other number of risks for free societies. So when Trump comes in, if he comes in, however this works out, in a Trump presidency, he's going to go for energy and he's going to go for the economy. That's going to be it. Now, they will they will take care of each other. And he will be criticized for being isolationists. And he intimidates them. He intimidates the, uh, the, the WEF crowd. He intimidates, he intimidates them because he'll get out there and he'll say, well, I, I've done it once and I've done it, I'm going to do it again. And we're being pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement. And that will mean the globe is doomed. But I ask you, if you had a choice between one big flash of light when the when the comet hits the Earth, and then we're done, versus having to live a life run by a bunch of pencil necks who decide to take away our coffee, our beef, and our motor cars, which one would you choose? I'd go for option uh, C, which is just let's just fight him to the death. But I didn't throw that one in there. I just tried to make it simple. Now, we're going to talk about the elites here in the United States. Just to give you an idea of who we're talking about when we say that, that nebulous that nebulous term. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. That's really layered. I like that. That's a really layered sound. GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line, 71307. We are streaming every way known to man. On the text line, no coffee, no meat, no guns. We will not be allowed to have a garden or chickens except if you are of the favored class. Well, who are those favored class people? Who are the elites? Well, pollster Scott Rasmussen, he decided to find that out. So he covered, he did two separate surveys, each covering 1,000 members of the elites. But the starting point, because I've wondered this, what, what defines an elite for the purpose of, say, this kind of a survey? 
An elite is defined as those having a postgraduate degree, a household income of more than $150,000 annually, and living in a zip code with more than 10,000 people per square mile. Approximately 1% of the total U.S. population meets this criteria. Wow. So that's a high-density urban environment. But then when you think about that, when you think about in, in, in New York, for example, I believe that your whatever your income is, it has to be 20 times your rent, right? So in some cases where you got a $3,000, $4,000 rent right, per month, you've got to make a minimum of either $80,000 or $120,000 a year just to be allowed to rent there and you know be broke. So $150,000 doesn't get you very far in a place like New York City. 650,000 now we're talking. It's uh, you know, that that would put you in the top 1% in income nationwide. And a person who lives in a big city and earns 150,000 is not in any financial sense elite. You know, on paper, you know, when you're looking at when you're comparing W2s, okay, maybe. So the key element here is to have a postgraduate degree. So we're what we're surveying here is people with graduate degrees who live in cities, the large majority of whom don't make a great deal of money. And many of that group are probably women, although Rasmussen said the survey results were lightly weighted by gender, age, and race. He also had a subcategory of Ivy League elites, consisting of graduates of one of the eight Ivy League schools, plus Northwestern, Duke, Stanford, and the University of Chicago. The elites, so defined, are living in another world when the than the rest of us. Very loyal to the regime. 84% of them approve of Joe Biden's performance as president. Now, you would not get that high of an approval rating if you sampled the Democratic National Committee, for example. 70% of the elites trust the government to do the right thing most of the time, which and that raises to or rises to 89% among those who are the most politically active members of the elite. They even trust the journalists. 79% have a favorable, favorable opinion of them as do 84% of the Ivy League elite. But, you know, as, as you're looking at these details and everything, you, you, this, this, this picture begins to emerge of the elite. They're crazy. They're crazy. 47% say that America suffers from too much freedom, <laughs> compared with only 21% who think we have too much government control. And among the Ivy League elite, 55% say America's too free, and only 15% say we have too much government. So what do they want to do to limit our excessive freedom? Well, 77% of them, Americans, living in the United States, who probably got student loans that they don't want to pay back, 77% um, of them say they favor the strict rationing of gas, meat, and electricity, which puts us back in the uh, Soviet Union of the 1970s. And of the Ivy League elites, 89% want to see that strict rationing. So, what can we conclude from the elites? Well, they're fascists. <laughs> Which under, that explains to me why they call me a fascist. Because they're projecting. See, I don't want to ban gas stoves, but 69% of those do. I don't want to ban gasoline-powered cars, but 72% of those guys do. 
uh, although I don't plan to ever fly again, the non-essential air travel, I don't necessarily see a need to ban it, but 55% of them do. I love SUVs, but 58% of them want to ban them. And I really love air conditioning, and 53% of them want to ban that. So, and, and that's just the regular elite, not the Ivy League. The Ivy League, 80% for gas stoves, 81% for gasoline-powered cars, 70% for non-essential air travel, 66% for SUVs, and 68% want to ban air conditioning. I mean, does this mean that if you graduate from a degree, with a degree from Harvard, that you want to go live in the little house on the prairie? Oh, you don't, you don't want to live there. You want me to live there. That's, I gotcha. And uh, once again, back to my original analyses of this data, they're fascists. And I don't see these people as dangerous to the democracy because we don't have one. They're very dangerous to the republic, though. And if they take over, we are finished. There are a few shortcomings to that. Just like the World Economic Forum, while they're out there advocating for this, that, and the other, um, at least in the very near future, this is never going to be something they can actually impose. There's a few things in the way. There's a few, uh, there's a few, you know, 150 million gun owners in the way. There's a, a waking of the of the voting electorate that's getting out there. And uh, I would like to find out, to figure figure out who exactly they are by name, as Nikki Haley would say. We need to know who they are by name and negate their influence. And we also need to do away with the student loan program. And then maybe that would do away with the Ivy League. I'm not too worried about the Ivy League, though. The Ivy League, with, with, the, with the crops that they've got in there right now, the people that are here right now this minute, we can negate. The people coming up later after we're gone, uh, they're going to be imbeciles. If the college system survives at all. Because not everybody's going to be Joe Biden and get out there and, you know, cut out of, make out of whole cloth where he can, ban, you know, just do away with uh, student loans. You know, that, that, that's going to go away too. But in the meantime, you should just be aware of that. The, these are the people that get together and sit down and pop champagne corks and try to map out your future, including all the little details of your life, like what you're cooking with. I mean, think about that. They, they want to regulate what you're cooking with, what you're driving, how you stay cool. Whether or not you have lamps, you know, that kind of thing. Coming up next from the Second Amendment Foundation, it is investigative reporter Lee Williams. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line, 71307. We are streaming every way known to man except for MySpace, and I don't know where that's at nowadays. 
Everybody in the gun industry right now is at SHOT Show, except for the number number one and number two. We are the most important guys in the gun industry, so uh, that's why we stayed back. Joining me now from the Second Amendment Foundation's investigative reporter project is investigative reporter Lee Williams. You, you like that designation as being we're the two most important guys in the gun industry? Yes, absolutely. I love it. I've done plenty of shots. It's a great time. Uh, I w- more people should be able to go. But I'm thankful I'm staying home here in sunny Sarasota yeah. and churning out, churning out some uh, investigative stories. It's probably quite cold in Vegas right now. Yeah, that's like that's a, that's a wind here. vortex down in there in that valley. So very it's cold. always it's always cold at shot media day out at the range. You can't wear enough clothes. Yeah. So you teased me yesterday when you told me uh, when we were talking yesterday on the phone. So I have no idea what you put out there. So tell me what you put out there. Well, there's a new anti-gun group. And by new, I mean, it's been only been around for a couple of years that is uh, that hopes their foreign lawsuits against gun makers will lead to increased (laughs) gun control here in the United States. They're called the Global Action on Gun Violence Bill, and they've got they filed and funded two lawsuits against uh, American firearms manufacturers. The plaintiff is the Mexican government. They've got a lawsuit currently against Smith and Wesson in a Canadian court. And then they dropped a civil rights complaint with the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights, which is based in uh, South America and has no legal authority in the United States. Now this would all be funny and we could have a good laugh, except yesterday, Um, the the first U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals overturned the lower court's ruling that had dismissed Mexico's lawsuit after finding that it violated the PLCAA, which is a protection, as your readers know, of Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. Basically, the law, which became federal law in 05, protects American gun makers from any liability if their product is used by criminals during the commission of a crime. It does not shield them from lawsuits arising out of defective products, which is a point, a lie the other team always makes. Now, this thing was heard by a three-judge panel of the First Circuit of Appeals, and Judge William Kayaka wrote the, uh, the opinion. Uh, he was nominated by Obama in 2012. He says that uh, it does not violate PLCAA because it plausibly alleges a type of claim that is statutorily exempt from the PLCAA's general prohibition. I don't know what that means. He clarified it by saying that the PLCAA was only designed to protect lawful firearms related to commerce, yet Mexico has accused the companies of aiding and abetting illegal gun sales by facilitating the trafficking of firearms into their country. Okay, now the interesting thing about this gun group I mean, nobody's ever heard of them. They don't have anything filed, no financials online with the major nonprofit watchdogs. But the dude running it, uh, Jonathan Lowy, spent decades. He's well-known in the gun control industry. He worked for 25 years at Brady as their chief counsel and VP for legal affairs. So he's a known commodity. What came out of a story he did for The Trace, the little bit of truth, is that he and his group actually complied with FARA. That's the Law of Foreign Agents Registration Act, the one that Hunter Biden never uh, never complied with and possibly could be charged with. It requires agents of a working for a foreign principal 
to publicly disclose their obligations to this foreign government. And Lowy and his group have registered as a foreign agent for Mexico, if you can actually believe that. And unfortunately, this thing is getting some traction. I doubt it will go anywhere, but it's going to cost, again, our team and our guys a lot of money. Well, do they even have standing to be able to bring a lawsuit like that? Do you have to have standing to bring a lawsuit? Yeah, no, they don't. However, when you draw an Obama appointee as your judge, uh, you know, things get a little, um, they operate, how shall I say this, outside of the law. Ah. I mean, I I doubt even Lowy expected it to go this far. I mean, he basically said he formed his group because he was frustrated and uh, he, he wants these lawsuits to basically raise the morale of the gun ban industry because they're so tired and demoralized. And I quote, one of the greatest, perhaps the most dangerous foes that we face in the gun violence prevention movement is hopelessness. If you open your imagination to look at what the rest of the world does, you realize it's not hopeless at all, he said. Um, And that pretty much says what you need to know. I mean, you got to pretend. You got to pretend that everything's not hopeless, Bill, if you're a gun banner, and then everything will be okay. Yeah, but that's not realistic. No. That's no. nearly as delusional as waking me waking up tomorrow going, you know, and I start playing the old, uh, gosh, I can't remember names. Oh, man. Man, I feel like a woman. I start playing that, and I <laughs> I begin to feel like I'm a woman. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, getting out there and saying, well, it's not all bad on the gun-grabbing front. Uh, I mean, I understand why, the, why these guys have the sense of hopelessness. Um, they, they're, they're constantly churning out these post-brewed tantrum laws but in these blue states, but they're all getting overturned by the court. And we've been winning consistently in courts against ATS unconstitutional rules and regulations. So it's not difficult to understand why they're so demoralized and, and sad. Well, <laughs> the problem is they want, they want gun. See, all of this gun control they push, they keep, I mean, how many different types of gun control can New York, California, New Jersey, uh, Maryland, Illinois, these states that already have all the gun control already, are they going to have like double secret probation or something coming up soon? Evidently, yes. Uh, I don't know what more there is to add, and that's why I'm mystified every time I, I, I read a new bill. They're, they're, as, we, as you and I have said, they're certainly getting creative. And representing the Mexican government and suing is, is pretty creative. I, I would not have, I, I could never have come up with that as an idea. But uh, unfortunately, you know, these gun manufacturers are going to have to pay a lot of money. And, uh, and that's money that uh, they'll probably be passed on to their customers, which is I'm kind sure. of sad. I'm sure. I'm sure. To find Lee, there's a few places you can go find him. He's at thegunwriter.substack.com. He's at armedamericannews.com. And he is the lone investigative reporter at the Second Amendment Foundation's Investigative Reporter Project, saf.org. Thank you for joining me this morning, sir. My pleasure. Take care, brother. Yes, sir. 2A Tuesday. Lee digs. Lee Lee is a digger. When we get back, um, I've been doing some thinking, and I've decided to throw my hat. I, I too, want to save a business, and I've come up with some ways to save the electric vehicle. I will share this with you when we get back. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD.
Electric vehicles are in trouble. We all know this. So, being the profiteer that I want to be, I've decided to look into this and try to rescue this myself. So, I've decided to uh, come up with a term called EVA, Electric Vehicle Accessories, because we all need another acronym to memorize. Now, and I, you know, as we look at this, and I, I use the word we to suggest that I'm not alone in this, we cannot do anything about the problem that they cost more than comparable cars with a regular engine. In fact, I intend to add to the cost, and this will save this concept from the darkness of a disinterest. First off, we have to get somebody to be the pitch woman. Now, I know I'm going to date myself, but some of you guys remember Dinah Shore. She was a, gosh, she, she could sing. She was talented. She, she passed away way too, I mean, she passed away in 1994. But, I mean, even Burt Reynolds dated her. I mean, she was a beautiful woman. Easy on the eyes. She'd get out there and she would sing about, uh, see the USA and your Chevrolet. They couldn't make those things fast enough. So what we have to do is we have to resurrect Mitzi Gaynor. She could sing. She could dance. and She made the guy's heads turn. And uh, we'll call her Eva for this role. And what does Eva sell? What I propose is a fully appointed trailer that will tow behind an electric vehicle. It's going to have to be fairly lightweight because it won't pull that much. And this will correct most of the drawbacks of the electrical vehicle. First of all, it's going to be covered in solar panels. That'll help. It's also going to have a windmill. It's on a, a spring-loaded spring frame that we can pop loose, and it'll fly up there, and then it'll start spinning as we're sitting there, and it will recharge the battery. When the batteries run down, you just stop, throw up your windmill, and off it goes. No wind? Well, there's the solar panels that I was talking about. And you, you disconnect the trailer from the EV. You aim the array of solar panels at the sun. But what about when it doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine? Because night follows day every day, and then and the uh, and the wind doesn't tend to blow at night, and they've got you covered there. They, they, you know, they have you. You can buy a Honda generator to put on the trailer. You can buy a bunch of them, and uh, of course you got to get you know get get some help to lift these off of the trailer and pull out the starter cords. And in a few minutes you'll be charging, and in just a few hours you'll be on your way again. Then there is the deluxe model. Instead of a several relatively small generators and a bunch of gas cans, you can buy a larger generator with a permanent gas tank. <clears throat> this has the ability to power the car as it moves along. And all you need is about 100 horsepower in the generator, and you'll be able to drive right by those occasional, occasionally available charging stations. Now, some of you are going, but Bill... What's the point of having an electric vehicle and, and, you know, because some of you want to have these things because you want to think of yourself as a superior human being who cares about saving the world. And uh, it's not lost on you that I'm basically putting another engine on the back of the car, plugging into your car <laughs> that you're towing around that's actually driving your, uh, driving your car. Most of the EVs on the road today are power are charged by electric generating plants. And most of those are plants that are powered by fossil fuel. And right now as they speak, or as we speak, they're tearing down dams and hydroelectric generating systems in order to restore a more natural lifestyle for all the fish. No more plans to build nuclear plant plants. You bought that EV to signal your virtue. 
Now you can have a trailer with a windmill and solar panels. You just stand next to it, let the people see you with an electric vehicle, a windmill, and a trailer full of solar panels. Viola, what more can anybody ask? You're going to be cool, too cool for school if you simply park this in your front yard and take your other car, you know, the one that has the internal combustion engine, and you can take that on trips. Just don't let anybody take any pictures of you with it. Your neighbors are still going to think that you are virtuous for having that electric vehicle. I'm not kidding. <laughs> uh, and if if that doesn't close the deal with those arguments, there's one more product left to offer, the economy model. And see, they've concluded that the time required for longer trips using EVs, factoring the charging time, is comparable to the time required to make the same trip by bicycle. And positive side effects are that pedaling a bike is exercise and will keep you warm. And if you, you know, if you have an electric vehicle and you turn on the heater, that's going to reduce your range. So just go buy a bike. Things go right. We're going to hear from Mark Walters at Shunt Show when, uh, when we get back to a Tuesday. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.